You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today we will discuss where is Melissa Brannon? Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so happy to be here with y'all today. This time of year can be so, so busy. Um, I know myself, I am incredibly busy. I am working like a busy little elf, trying to write as many podcasts as I possibly can so that way I can enjoy the holiday season without making you guys wait weeks and weeks in between episodes. Um, I'm so glad that you have chosen to listen to this podcast of all of the podcasts out there in the universe. I really, really appreciate you being here. Are you done decorating? Are you up to your eyeballs and wrapping paper? Did you make sure to buy some whoopsie presents. Those are those gender neutral gifts that I buy for anyone I might have forgotten, but when they give me a gift and I'm like, uh, whoopsie, (laughs) I go downstairs and stick something in a bag. (laughs) You can never have too many whoopsie gifts. Over here in the Salt Lake City area of Utah, I don't know if we'll get a white Christmas. Um, Last week it snowed a ton and then I thought for sure it would stick, but wouldn't you know, it all melted. Um, but then we had a snow day today, so it's just crazy. It's like bipolar. I don't know if we're going to get a white Christmas or a muddy Christmas. Um, as much as I loathe the snow, I don't really want a brown Christmas, so I kind of hope that this snow day like lingers a little longer. You know what I mean? Uh, Just a little bit of housekeeping before we begin today's episode. If you aren't already following me on my Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved, then we are not friends anymore. (laughs) Just kidding. But seriously, you should follow me because it's there that you can comment and post on each episode. Uh, You can tell me your thoughts, theories, and opinions. You can direct message me a case suggestion, much like the one we're going to be covering today. And you can hang out with me when I occasionally pop in over on the stories. You can binge to my now 60 plus episodes. Wahoo! Wahoo! Shameless plug! Um, You can listen to them on Apple, Spotify, and of course my website www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Like I briefly mentioned before, today is a listener suggestion. Um, Val from Tucson, Arizona got in touch with me shortly after Thanksgiving. Um, She had been visiting her parents who still live in Woodbridge, Virginia. Um, Apparently when she was over there, she like remembered a case from when she was a child. Um, It was a missing girl named Melissa. So she DM'd me and asked if I would cover the case and... Here we are. Uh, thank you, Val, for sending me a message through my Instagram account at Mystery Still Unsolved and bringing this case to our attention. It is certainly deserving, as it is a case that has occurred in 1989 and still has some unsettling mystery around it. So, without further ado, let's get into it. It all started at a neighborhood Christmas party. Tammy, who had recently moved to the Virginia area from Texas, and her five-year-old daughter, Melissa, were in attendance at that Christmas party. Tammy was a single mother, recently divorced, who was very friendly, but also shy and reserved. She had recently moved to Virginia because she had gotten an amazing job as an accountant at a large company. Even though 
Tammy would have much rather cozied in the winter's night. Um, Same girl, same. She knew that she had to be brave and push herself in order to meet new people if she wanted the town of Lorton, Virginia to feel more like home. It wasn't just for her benefit. Every mom knows that sometimes, even when you don't want to go anywhere, you do because it will help your child to make friends. I know that I do that all the time. I think most people who know me would be surprised to know that I am an introvert through and through. Um, I play an an extrovert very, very well um, for survival purposes, but I really don't enjoy going out and socializing. Like, I hate it. On a scale of one to 10, it's like a negative three. I'd much rather be snuggled up in my bed with a good book or watching a show. I literally have to force myself to go places in order to avoid becoming an isolated hermit. Um, My daughter, on the other hand, she's seven and she is an extrovert through and through. I have no idea why. I have no idea where she got it from. Um, I think it's like God playing a sick prank on us or something. Um, I certainly didn't have a hand in it. That's for sure. Um, So many times I combat an inner struggle of staying in versus going out. Anyways, all this to say, Tammy, I feel you. I see you. I validate you. So Tammy and Melissa were at this Christmas party for their neighborhood. But when I say neighborhood, I should really clarify because it was more of like an apartment condo complex and everyone who lived at the complex was meeting in the clubhouse for a ginormous Christmas party. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. There were like over 200 people in attendance that night, which I know post-COVID seems like a lot of people, but I feel like even in 1989, that would seem like a lot of people. Uh, This is actually what had initially enticed Tammy to move into the complex when she was in Texas looking for a place to live. The complex was renowned for its infamous social gatherings that took place every Friday night in the clubhouse. I'm sure Tammy, while learning this, was ecstatic. She could go out and meet people all within walking distance of her own home. Win. Uh, Very low effort and low key, but would probably help them to branch out of their comfort zone a little bit. So seriously, sounds like a dream. Residents of the complex especially looked forward to their Christmas party. The complex went all out, decking the halls, serving delicious catered food. There were platters filled with cookies as far as the eye could see. Truly a magical wonderland for any five-year-old child and heck, any 31-year-old woman such as myself. (laughs) So on December 3rd, 1989, Tammy and Melissa decided to attend. Tammy dressed Melissa in a darling two-piece Christmas outfit, which consisted of a blue shirt with Big Bird on it. Um, It was plaid uh, with a Christmas plaid pleated skirt. Tammy spent the evening getting to know her neighbors, learning about the schools, arranging playdates with children her daughter's age, and getting dinner invitations from lovely people hoping to help Tammy and Melissa feel welcomed and love in Lorton. Melissa was having a blast eating jello and visiting with the Santa that the complex had hired and meeting other children. As the night went on, Tammy and Melissa tired. So Tammy asked Melissa to please go fetch their coats while she made her rounds, saying goodbye to their new friends that they had made. Melissa did as her mother instructed and brought her mother her coat. Tammy wrapped up speaking with her new friends. She looked down to her left where Melissa had been standing, but Melissa wasn't there. Tammy asked those around her if they had seen where Melissa had gone. I mean, she was just here a minute ago but no one had. She began to call out for Melissa, but Melissa didn't appear. 
Soon, everyone at the party was searching for little Melissa. Melissa was only five years old, so she couldn't have gotten too far, right? In the utility room off the lobby marked private was a full-length window facing the outside, and it was completely open. The window faced a wooded area behind the apartment complex. This section of the clubhouse was secluded, isolated even, so no one in the parking lot or walking home to their apartments would have been able to see back there. Fairfax County Police searched the area. The chief at the time said, quote, It was very cold that night, so it was pretty imperative that we try to locate Melissa as quickly as possible. It was hard to imagine a young child with only a dress on and a simple coat surviving through the night in temperatures like that, end quote. Although no one at the party seemed to have seen anything unusual, police, very quickly, believed that Melissa had been abducted. Tammy pleaded for her daughter's safety um, during a news conference. It was a heartbreaking and gut-wrenching plea. Police could find no trace of Melissa, despite the help and efforts of hundreds of volunteers. As you may know, Virginia is a major spot for multiple branches of our military. These troops were utilized and did so gladly in order to hopefully find Melissa. Neighboring towns, like the one Val and her family are from, sent their own police to aid in the search. It seems like this particular case really struck the town, which had very little crime because the consensus of the time was... If this could happen to Tammy Brannon, an educated, low-risk lifestyle, loving and adoring mother, then this really could happen to anyone. Yellow ribbons were placed around the neighborhood, a symbol of hope for Melissa's safe return. Police flew Melissa's father from Texas to question him. He did have an alibi, like, I don't know, being in Texas, but it's always important in a child abduction case to interview both parents. Because while it's not likely in this case, there have been other cases where a scorned parent has hired someone to kidnap their child from the parent with sole custody. But after interviewing him, he was immediately ruled out as a suspect. Police interviewed all 200 attendees of the party and also the complex's employees. One of these employees was 23-year-old Caleb Hughes, who worked as a maintenance man, and he had attended the Christmas party. Investigators interviewed Caleb at his home a few hours after the party had ended, around 2 a.m. The investigators asked Caleb where he, where he had gone since leaving the party. Caleb said he drove straight home, but that he had stopped off for a six-pack of beer and got home around 12.30 or 1.00. Immediately, this triggered the investigator's spidey senses, because thus begins Virginia's weird laws that sometimes help in this case, and in other instances harm it. In this instance, it was helpful because the store where Caleb claimed to have purchased his beer on the way home was right around the corner from his home, and there's no way he had purchased beer anywhere between the hours of 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. because it is against the law to sell alcohol anywhere in Virginia after midnight. So investigators knew Caleb hadn't stopped for beer. He was full of crap. Investigators didn't let Caleb know that they were onto him and instead continued with their questioning. They asked Caleb, what did you do after you got home? Caleb said, chores, like, like laundry. The investigators didn't have a warrant, but asked Caleb if it would be all right with him to take a look around his home. Caleb agreed. While performing their inspection of the residence, they came across something 
Very interesting. Hughes told police that he had been doing his laundry, but the clothes he was washing were the very ones he had worn to the Christmas party, including his sneakers, belt, and a hunting knife holder. Police began to push Hughes. Why did you wash these jeans? You don't have another pair of blue jeans? Why did you wash your sneakers? Is it something you normally do? Caleb had no answers to give them. The sides of Caleb's sneakers had obviously been shaved, but tests showed traces of a human protein, possibly blood, deep within its fibers. Caleb Hughes was also not being very cooperative anymore. When he did speak, which was rare, he told police he didn't speak to Melissa at the Christmas party, even though several people at the party had witnessed him speaking to her. Finally, police, while in an interrogation room, told Hughes, quote, I think you know more than you're saying. We think you kidnapped Melissa from that party and did something horrible to her, end quote. Caleb sat in silence for a long time before looking investigators straight in the face and without emotion said, prove it. And this is what investigators set out to do. Forensic scientists began by looking inside of Caleb's car. This was quite a task because Caleb was nasty. The car was disgusting. It was full of dirt, books, dog hair, used straws, just a bunch of disgusting stuff. The scientists searching it had no idea how they were going to be able to find any evidence that proved that Melissa had been inside of Caleb's putrid deathmobile. First, they sprayed his car with luminol. Um, if you didn't know, uh, when luminol comes into contact with the hemoglobin component of blood, it glows. Um, this proved that there was blood on the steering wheel, the foot pedals, and the floor mat. The blood was collected for DNA analysis, but his car was contaminated with filth, so the DNA had been compromised and proved to be inconclusive. The seats of the car were also searched for hair and fibers. Anything they got was sent to Special Agent Doug Diedrich of the FBI for analysis. Diedrich was able to find a lot of animal hair in the car, mostly belonging to Caleb's dog. However, there were three hairs that were different than all the others. They were rabbit hairs that had been dyed black. Why would this be? He called the Fairfax police who confirmed that the coat Melissa had brought to her mother that very night, shortly before disappearing, was a German-made rabbit hair coat dyed black. Investigators believe that when Melissa got the coat, she must have draped it across her body because it was so large in comparison to Melissa. Several hairs of that coat had transferred to Melissa. Then, after the abduction, some of those hairs had transferred to Caleb's seats in his car. Diedrich also discovered blue and red fibers on the passenger seat. The red fibers were cotton and were an extremely common fiber, but the blue were acrylic and extremely rare a lead Diedrich wanted to follow. Diedrich learned that the chemical composition of the blue fibers was quite unique. As mentioned before, Melissa had worn a blue Big Bird shirt with a navy plaid skirt the night of her disappearance. Could Diedrich somehow prove that these were the same blue fibers from Melissa's shirt and skirt that night? The outfit had been a gift from Melissa's grandmother. When questioned, the grandmother couldn't exactly remember where she had bought it. All she could remember was the big bird on the front of the shirt. So Diedrich was on the hunt for this big bird set. He was convinced that these blue fibers were the key to solving this case. 
After working one night, uh, Diedrich discussed his frustrations of not being able to find this big bird set to his wife. He told her he needed to find the manufacturer of the skirt so that he could compare it to the fibers that he had in his possession. Mrs. Diedrich, upon hearing this, opened her eyes wide. Did you say big bird? She rushed into her closet and fetched a JCPenney's catalog from the previous year. She opened it up to the 11th page, a navy blue big bird set with a matching plaid skirt. Diedrich became ecstatic. The next day, he called JCPenney's to inquire about purchasing a set so that he could compare the fibers. Unfortunately, his excitement was squashed when the JCPenney employee, who had been very willing to help solve a crime, became somber. The company had only made 7,000 sets, and all of them were sold out. Diedrich was devastated, but a few days later, he received a call from that very same JCPenney's employee. I don't know if they're, like, allowed to do this, but they had called every person who had purchased the outfit until they found someone who was willing to surrender it to the FBI. A man had purchased it for his granddaughter, but it hadn't fit her. He hadn't gotten around to returning it, and he happily gave it to the FBI. It was a good thing he did because upon inspecting the garment, Diedrich made another astounding discovery. Apparently, when JCPenney commissioned the design of this Big Bird set, they wanted to make it special. They didn't just want any old navy. They wanted to create a new color. So they made a new color with the help of the manufacturer and patented it so no one else could use it. The name of the color? Plum Navy number 887. When Diedrich compared the fibers... They were the same. What are the chances? With a country filled with 7 million people and only 7,000 sets of these big bird things in circulation, that makes the probability of Caleb Hughes having Melissa in his car extremely high. There was no question. Melissa Hughes had been in the front seat of Caleb Hughes's car. But what happened next remains a mystery. The search for Melissa Brannon lasted over a year. Statistics show that children abducted by strangers are usually murdered within three hours of their abduction. This was not a promising statistic for the Brandon family, but they still wanted to know what had happened to their little girl. Where was she? And if they couldn't have her back alive, they at least wanted to be able to lay her body to rest. Caleb Hughes took a polygraph test, voluntarily and seriously flunked it. The polygraph examiner said, quote, as soon as Mr. Hughes knew that I knew that he had flunked that test, he pretty much bolted out of there. This is excellent news, right? Well, kind of. This is where we run into another weird law in Virginia, and unfortunately, this one doesn't really help. Apparently, in the state of Virginia, prosecutors must be able to prove where a homicide has occurred. And since there was no evidence linking the car to a murder scene and Caleb Hughes had refused to cooperate, they were SOL. The best they could do was charge Caleb with kidnapping. But as you know, the punishment for kidnapping is significantly less than a homicide. It's only 10 years. Investigators were sure, however, that there had been much more than a kidnapping. The last anyone had seen of Melissa, she was wearing a bright pink nylon coat over top of this Big Bird set. Investigators believe that if Melissa had remained in this pink nylon coat, then the fibers from the Big Bird set would not have been transferred. That meant, at some point, Melissa's coat was removed. And if that happened, I'll just, I'll just let your mind wander to the depths of depravity to answer that question. 
With this, they were able to meet the threshold to charge Caleb Hughes with kidnapping with the intent to defile, which carried with it a much longer sentence if he was found guilty. During the trial, the prosecutors shared their theory of what had happened to Melissa that night. They believed that while waiting for her mother, Melissa got thirsty and went to get a drink from the water fountain, which is right beside the utility room. When Caleb saw her there alone, he used it as his opportunity to snatch her. He carried her to the utility room where he escaped unseen through the large window that was found completely open. He might have taken her into the woods or to his car where he took Melissa to commit his heinous acts and where Melissa's body lay now remains a mystery to this day. Luckily, the jury was able to look past the fact they didn't know where Melissa was and still found Caleb Hughes guilty, and he was sentenced to 50 years in prison without parole, which was the maximum sentence for this charge. Caleb Hughes has never confessed this crime, and the search for Melissa's body continues. What do you make of this case? What do you think happened to Melissa? Do you think the evidence found in Caleb's car was damning or a coincidence? Are you in agreement with me that Virginia law is super infuriating? If not, just wait one second. Breaking news. I wish I could say that the breaking news is that Melissa was found happy and alive. I wish I could say that the breaking news is that Melissa's body was finally laid to rest. Unfortunately, neither of those have happened. Instead, Hughes was released from prison in August 2019. His case apparently occurred in the era before truth in sentencing and before Virginia abolished parole in 1995. Virginia law in 1991 not only allowed for parole, but also automatically reduced sentences based on good contact during incarceration. Though the Virginia Parole Board rejected Hughes for parole in 2017 and 2018, he is being granted a mandatory release on August 2nd um, after only receiving two decades worth of good conduct allowances. So he will have served only 29 of his 50-year sentence. Lowry, a Fairfax policeman, says that he is, quote, extremely disappointed that an individual like Hughes would be released from custody. He was not only involved in one of the most heinous crimes to ever occur in our area, but he's someone that we believe would do this again, end quote. Melissa's family held a memorial for her and placed a bench in Arkansas about nine years ago. Um... So the police officer says that he still stays in contact with the Brannons and that um, he shared that it's like the not knowing that keeps the Brannons up at night. They are tortured by the unknown. Hughes is now 55 years old. Also, while digging up more information on this piece of shit, um, Hughes apparently told police that he didn't talk to Melissa. We already talked about that. But Tammy says that shortly after arriving to the party, so this is like Melissa's mom. She says that shortly after arriving to the party, Caleb approached them and even sat at their table. He told Melissa that she looked very pretty in her outfit and even retrieved cupcakes for the both of them. Later on at the party, he got a little tipsy and proceeded to tell people at the party, all of the, all of the women there, that he wouldn't mind sleeping with. He tried to pick up two separate women at the party, but the women were grossed out by him and rejected his advances. Just some more sprinkles to lay atop of this crap Sunday. What sucks the most is that we are no closer to finding this little girl than we were an hour after she was missing. 
And because this guy was being a good boy in prison, he got a get-out-of-jail card. And he's still not talking, and he probably never will. I mean, why would he when he essentially got away with murder? My only hope at this point is that he doesn't do something again and hurt another child and rip apart another family in the process. Melissa Brannon was only five years old at the time of her disappearance, and she was a little cutie too. She probably was a little nervous to be moving to a brand new place, but also excited about the prospect of making new friends in her kindergarten class. Her mind was probably filled with thoughts of chocolate chip cookies, elves, Santa Claus, and reindeer. She was probably wondering, had she been good enough in the year that she would receive the gift that she'd written down on her Christmas list? Unfortunately, she would never know. Innocence was lost that night, not only for Melissa Brannon, but for the community that she lived in that had always believed that nothing this heinous could ever possibly happen in their town. Like the reporter, Nancy Tamigan said in a news broadcast shortly after Caleb Hughes was convicted, if this could happen to Tammy Brannon's daughter, it could happen to you. And maybe this is why we don't like to discuss child abductions and child sex crimes. It's the reason we like to pretend it's not as prevalent as it really is. We like to pretend that these sorts of things happen in other communities, in other states, not our neighborhood. Because if we really sat down to think about it, research it, and study the facts, we'd have to confront the truth that we've desperately attempted to avoid all these years. That a monster, just like the monster who kidnapped Melissa Brannon, could live in our neighborhood. We like to think, I'd know a monster if I saw one. And we carry out this mental checklist that we've compiled, a foolproof way to weed out those weirdos. But the reality is, there isn't a checklist on the planet that will help us spot one because monsters, real monsters, wear costumes. They look and act just like the rest of us, a talent that they've refined over the years as to not raise suspicion. And while we think we're good at spot spotting a monster from a mile away, we're not because they're twice as good at pretending that they're not monsters. The terrifying reality is that every one of these monsters has to shop somewhere, has to go to the movie somewhere, has to worship somewhere, lives somewhere. And we know that we must go from pretending that they don't exist to praying that one of them doesn't decide to move in next door. Let me know what you think on the post I created on my Mystery Still Unsolved Instagram page. Do you think Caleb Hughes is guilty? Do you think he's innocent? Answer my poll in the stories. Want to know the best way to support this podcast? Follow me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. Visit my website at www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Tell a true crime-loving friend or family member about me. But the best way to support me would just be to join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs>